0: Hello and welcome to the Enterprise Linux Security Podcast. This time live, Joe and I have been wanting to do this for uh, quite some time. I've had some issues with live streaming when I try to do it before, but it seems to be working. And I think you guys are actually seeing and hearing us. So, how are you doing, Joe? I'm fine, Jay.
1: As always, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And yeah, this is something new for us. Um yep. I I think we started discussing a live episode or a live podcast recording since like day one of the podcast, but never actually got to it.
0: Yeah, so, it yeah. was kind of one of those things, right? Um so there's something there's gonna be some you know rough edges here and there because it is live. So um I had the green screen background on for the people that are watching live, which um I probably won't edit this in post like I do you know, the normal podcast, so I just applied a background. So so that's what I'm talking about. We're going to have some rough edges while we get the hang of it, but is right. We've been wanting to do this for um, a while, and, and considering how this works, I, I think we could just do it this way all the time. So yeah, I would like to do that, and you guys can let us know what you think as well, but we're ready to get right into today's episode. So you ready to go? Yes, I am all right we can go over
1: this do it um so yeah we we picked the topic which is basically very broad it goes over the the current trends in cybersecurity. so basically what's affecting people right now what we see is moving forward will be the the biggest threats as well and there's no avoiding it ransomware is the number one threat right, right now um if you see if you see something in the news around cybersecurity, chances are pretty high it's going to be ransomware related, either some new family of ransomware that does something slightly different, or something that got stolen through some ransomware infection, or some company that went under, like we discussed the last episode or two episodes ago, if I recall correctly. Um, but yeah, that's obviously the the number one thing out there.
0: Yeah, that's. Um... It, it was predicted a long time ago. I remember listening to Security Now, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and Steve Gibson, the the minute the first, I, I think it, it might have been the first one, at least that I know of. And he's like, "Yeah, it's gonna absolutely become the most popular um, kind of malware." And yeah, here we are. Unfortunately, it's um it's horrible. You're you're locked out of your computer files. It's just um, or worse. And I think we we talked many times about like. Um, businesses being affected by it, worse hospitals being affected by this, um, a company closing down because of this. So yeah. it's a big deal.
1: It's the financial motivation. Most, uh, most attacks that you can do these days, it's pretty tricky to monetize them. When crypto started to become a thing, and the malicious actors started to realize how easy it was to extract money through it, ransomware just exploded. It wasn't the same before that. But the minute you can get easy money from just encrypting files somewhere and causing grief to some company or some IT team somewhere, that's where you're going to be pushing the buttons. Um, (laughs) And so much so that this has become a business model for malicious groups. Um, They now have support staff to to support their operations. You can now probably ring the the equivalent of their help desk and get assistance with, okay, how can I pay my ransomware or something like that? And they'll gladly provide you with instructions on how to set up your Bitcoin wallets, how, where to acquire the Bitcoin, how to do the transaction and all of that. You'll have an assistant walking you right through the whole process. And I'm not making this up. There are dedicated portals from malicious groups today that you can access and see how's the state of your ransomware infection? How long do you still have until everything is locked out and the key is gone forever? Um, how you can extend the, the time on the, the ransomware infection so that you get an extra day or two. If you recall when we discussed the the United Steel Alliance, the company that went under two episodes ago, one of yeah. the issues that they had was that they had no no familiarity with cryptocurrency or how to get it. They had no idea how that worked. So <laughs> it wasn't just them that realized that, the, the threat actors also realized that this was an issue. They were trying to extort money and people didn't know how to comply with the ransom and how to, give, how to give them money. So being the entrepreneurial type of people that they are, they went ahead and they provide that service now for you.
0: I can't, I mean, <laughs> there, there's so many things I wanna say to, about this, but it's like, which one do I go with in the interest of time here? Um, I mean, I'm shocked, but I'm not at the same time. And I think that's been my reaction to all of this all of the things that we've talked about is i do have shock but i also have the mentality of course they did like why what else of would course. they do right <laughs> oh gosh yeah it's it's just horrible and and i remember when um the very first ransomware attack i've known about happened a long time ago i want to say this was like 2012 or 2013 i was doing a uh, i had a small pc repair business at the time in I'll never forget this person coming in and crying because it's like family photos and things that um, that that person wasn't able to view. And I remember, you know, saving a copy of some of those files. I'm like, you know, hang on to this just in case someday, like there's a weakness in this particular malware or something. And and it's happened where there was some that weren't designed as well that were somebody found a way. It doesn't happen often, but they found a way to get into the files. I'm like, someday. You might be able to get them back, but it was just so disheartening. And that was just one person. Um, And then businesses, like we talked about, that puts a lot of people out of work and closes the doors of a business, which um, affects a lot more than just one, obviously. So um, all in the interest of money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually, you touched on an interesting point there. One of the strategies to dealing with the ransomware infection, if you're not willing to pay the ransom and you have no other way of accessing your files, there is nobody that can assist you with that, is to just hold on to the data. If you don't have an immediate need of that data, if you don't absolutely need to have it immediately, Just hold on to it because lots of of malicious groups have been caught in the past. The keys have been leaked and there were tools provided by antivirus companies that can decrypt your files some moment, sometime in the future. It's not guaranteed that it's going to happen, but it has happened a significant number of times in the past. And the way that this works, that ransomware works today is that one malicious actor will not create a ransomware from scratch. This is like software as a service. They will provide, you will acquire a, ki- a ransomware kit that you'll tailor to your needs. you put your logo there and you configure the, the URL where you want went people to access to, to have information how to get the keys. All of that is configurable. So you purchase the service and then you find a way to distribute that to your victims. And what happens is that there isn't that much very variance on the way that the files are encrypted. So when one gets broken, it basically allows people to decrypt the others. You get the master keys. And this has happened enough times in the past that just holding on to your data is actually a valid strategy to deal with to dealing with this. Of course, if if we're talking about a hospital that needs the medical records immediately available at that moment to save lives, this isn't a strategy that's going to work for them. But if it's not that type of data, then yeah just hold on to your data and hope for the best. It's not that far-fetched that it might work.
0: One thing I would um, caution everyone on is to, this is a huge uh, problem for me with most operating systems where they hide file extensions. Make sure that in whatever OS you use, that you have it configured to not hide extensions. Because the last thing you want is, I don't know if they do this, but I'm going to assume that they probably do, if you back up an executable, you know, on accident or whatever, if you, I would assume it could be like something that's going to reinstall the crypto ware or whatever, um, just make sure that you have that setting disabled that hides file extension. So you don't have like picture.jpeg.exe or some kind of thing that was added somewhere. Um, so again, just, just be careful about that fact, but, and, and do so in a controlled environment, but. At the same time, like you said, that could be the only way. So uh, just like I told that individual so long ago, um, hold on to those files, and hopefully someday there's something that that can be done about it, but no promises. I mean,
1: there's a reason why my intelligence agencies all over the world are just hoarding data that they intercept, even though it's encrypted. The idea there is that at some point in the future, they will be able to decrypt it and look back at the data. So as long as it's not something critical that has to be known at that time, just holding on to the data until decryption tools are, are made available, that's that's a valid strategy moving forward. Yep. Agreed. Okay. And this ties into another current trend, which is with all the madness that's been going around in the world right now, um, every single attack group, every single um, apt group has become tagged as a state-sponsored threat. Um, But while most most often that is not the case, it's just a group of people from that country acting independently, that happens a lot. Um, When they are actually state-sponsored actors, then the amount of resources and the amount of technology that they can bring to bear on an attack is something completely different from what you find on your day-to-day security activities. Like when we discussed that, uh, that vulnerability the, from the, the NSO group, I believe, um, the, the tricks that it used were not commonplace. It was not the, your average your average code, your average programmer that could come up with something like that. It takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of trial and error, a lot of just testing, a lot of buying stuff from other individuals. And the, the groups that have these deep pockets That are being state-sponsored actually, those ones are doing a lot of harm today and it's really, really tricky to avoid being a target and to recover or protect yourself from one of those types of attacks because it's completely different from all the rest. So even if you have your environment fully configured with your firewalls and your endpoint detections and your signatures and you're looking at behavior and you have AI models for threat modeling and all of that, even then, this is so out of the box that you might not be able to pick it up.
0: Yep. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of those, too. Um, you know, fake state-sponsored and actual state-sponsored, I've seen my fair share of both. Um, it's disheartening that somebody can just be from a country. It could be just one person. And it's state-sponsored because it comes from that country. I feel like... If the media keeps saying that because it's you know clickbait friendly, I, I mean, they can get a ton of views if they say state-sponsored, but um, that also kind of makes us numb to real state-sponsored attacks when they actually happen. If everything is state-sponsored, then when it actually yeah. is state-sponsored, nobody knows the difference other than uh, maybe the code quality is way better and the technology is way more impressive, but it, it's just we got to be careful what we call things because we could be steering people wrong and I, I hate it when the media does that you know just for the sake of a click basically because because this has
1: consequences it's not just the the media getting it, getting it wrong it's that for example insurance companies they will not follow through on their in their Ransomware policies, for example, if it's an act of war or if it can be construed as an act of war So saying that it was committed by a state-sponsored group That's the first step in saying that it was an act of war and now they don't have to pay the insurance Um, So it's not just the obvious reasoning here There are a a lot of issues behind just calling a group a state-sponsored
0: group Yep, I totally agree with that Absolutely And um yeah. So it's like, we're never going to have a shortage of things to talk about. I mean, we're, we're good. I think we we could retire and, you know, we we will, and things are still ramping up, you know, and then someone else has to take over and carry it forward. So um, I, it's like most people are happy when they have job security or in our case, podcast security, pun intended, because it's going to be around. But I also kind of don't think like the fact that we have it for this reason. People are suffering for this, but um, then again, we're educating people, so we're doing the, the good thing, I guess. Okay, and directly
1: tied into this, in this type of threat groups and all of that, it's that information information exfiltration is becoming a sink. Um, first, it was just very targeted, very narrow attacks that would target some intellectual property somewhere, like the Sony hacks I think, that happened a few years back that stole some source code and some movies or something like that. But now when you have a group with this type of resources that they want to get access to, say, scientific research or new weapons technology or something like that, they have the resources to pull this type of attacks. This isn't just something that happens at the intelligence agency level. This is targeting the the individuals. This is targeting the people working at the company. This is targeting... I mean... (laughs) Open source security gathering is a thing, and the, the amount of information that people that people put knowingly out there about themselves is way too much. If you're working in a in a secure environment like that, and still people do it, that's actually one of the things that has to be more implement. That has to be improved if we want to to overcome this type of attacks. Um, not just educating people on how to become secure at their job and in their workstation and in their computer practices but actually making them more secure in their own personal aspect, in their own personal um how should i put it cyber presence if that's a sick and and, um, information exfiltration then follows directly from there if you can get some people's credentials through some type of uh, of information gathering out there in the wild and you have access to to their computer system, then you can do a lot of harm. Or even if you just pay them for the the access, for example, there's rental employee, we also covered that in the past. Um, Oh yeah. That has been something that's way, way, way on the rise right now. Um, We will be seeing more of this, especially now with the war and all of that when, for example, the the copyright restrictions were lifted uh, in Russia. They no longer need to abide by the by copyright restrictions. Okay, you might come ahead and say, oh, but they weren't doing that in the past. They were. To some extent, they were, or at least appearing, uh, trying to appear as, they, as if they were. And right now, they don't even have to do that. So, yeah. Um, it's like giving them carte blanche to just go out there and try to gather as much information as possible and no consequences will come of it for a large company that depends on their IP to, to stay in business, for their secrets to remain secret. Um, that's the last thing that you want to happen is for your systems, not only to be breached, not only to be ransomware, for example, but for the information that's there to actually be leaked either to a competitor or to an outside agency or something like that. And this is something that will also become very, very valuable for attackers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean we see this in all Things. I mean, something as, you know, that doesn't hurt the general public other than annoy us, like, you know, spoil a Spider-Man movie because some, some data was exfiltrated from, you know, the the movie company. Now we know who the, you know, guest characters are in a Spider-Man movie, thanks, um, to something that affects an entire country. Like you were saying, the war-related things and, um, you know, entire company secrets, intellectual property just leaking out. Um, it, it's just like um, this global capture the flag. Kind of thing that nobody asked for um but you know here we are it's, it's just hard to keep a secret online nowadays and then with the war it gets even worse like you're saying it's just anything that can be construed as being related to the war um, unless you have that in your insurance Yeah, that's gonna probably not work in your favor
1: yeah uh, someone is asking on the chat how do those state-sponsored attacks actually work it's not that they're state-sponsored attacks it's the state-sponsored groups And the the reasoning there is that those groups will have access to more resources and more information than they would otherwise. It's a matter of them being more supported. They having access to the latest technologies before other people. They having access, say, to information that was gathered by other groups, for example. And those groups sharing information amongst themselves. Think of them as intelligence agencies, but on a smaller scale and highly focused on cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, it's... um and there's all kinds of different ways they can go about it and and there's there's vulnerabilities that they know that no one else is aware because if um people find out about the vulnerabilities they'll patch them which they don't want to happen because um they're banking on these types of things that they use to get in there but even like you were saying earlier they have a massive amount of technology they can just you know find other ways to get through it's um it's Part- the only thing i can think of that has more um development time is like, you know, AAA video game titles. That's probably the only thing that has, you know, more development than um, state-sponsored attacks. Because we're talking about something that um, it would be, at least in my opinion, orders of magnitude difficult, if not impossible for one person to create something on that level. It would be way too time-consuming and tedious. But with a a bunch of people that are doing it, they can absolutely make those things kind of happen. And that's unfortunately where we are.
1: Actually, vulnerability hoarding is one thing that some groups focus on. They will find the vulnerabilities and they will keep the information for themselves and they will probably try to sell them to, to other groups. This is a thing, this is something that actually happens. There are groups out there just looking for new vulnerabilities, paying individuals that find them to, to share them with those groups and not divulge them with anybody else. So that they can then resell it down the chain. There's a whole there's a whole service chain around the around this. This is nas- nothing like it used to be, like say ten years ago. The the actual business model of these groups it's something that is just comparable to large
0: enterprises today. I remember the first virus that I've seen personally when I was really new, and I I, I I'm gonna bet that I broke probably all of the rules that we tell people um, not to break. And, you know, I hate the word best practices, but if there are any, I wasn't following any of them. Obviously, I first started, right? So all of my files were corrupted. And I'm not talking about encrypted. This is way before that. This was back when viruses just destroyed things. And that was it. Um, And I thought that was really horrible, and it was. But compared to what we deal with now... I mean, that's not as bad as, as what we have now. Um, times have really changed, and you're right, financial focus. We're going to keep mentioning that throughout the life of this podcast because if there was no financial benefit anymore, I don't think that it would be nearly as common. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Remember the good old days when all you could, could was just lose your own data? Yeah, that, yeah. those were the days.
0: Or the, you know, floppy disk that has something on it that, you know, um doesn't even go to go into the network, but is just on the disk and then it activates it some time in the future that it goes by the system clock, so you don't know what's there and you you know install the the shareware game or whatever it is off the floppy disk, and um, somebody gave you, let's say, Doom, which you're sub- is shareware, and you're supposed to, you know, pay for it to get the extra levels. But you get all the extra levels. You just get a couple of other things in there that'll hose your system while somebody's laughing in the background. Um, and that gloating that their virus made the news was probably the, you know, best they're going to get out of that. And uh, nowadays, you know, worms going through the network, and then crypto. Um, it's just, yeah, it's getting a lot worse and those were, back then that was annoying and we were really angry when our files got corrupted or deleted but nowadays it's like can we just go back to that because that was just easier to deal with
1: <laughs> and yeah, I can't avoid that, uh, talking about floppy disks again um, remember the time when copy protection was not the novo and was just a bad sector in the disk that slowed down the reads so that the, disk, the software knew that that was the original floppy yeah, those oh, were the days. Yeah,
0: don't copy that floppy. There was a bunch of ads. And I also yeah. remember um, the mo- the funniest one for me was when, the, I can't remember what game it was, but somebody put, the developers put in a scenario into the game that can only happen if it's a pirated copy. And it would look like a bug or a glitch that somebody, I don't know what it was, if they were in a level and they couldn't get out or something, and then they would ask the developer, like, what's going on with the game, I'm stuck. Uh, Yeah, you need to buy that game because that situation couldn't have happened on the purchase (laughs) copy, and they kind of just... There's all kinds of fun stories about the evolution of piracy and things. Um, Not condoning it, obviously. It's just... um, Those were simpler times, and nowadays it's... um, Yeah, those Mm anti-cheat things are really hosing people. Anyway, I can talk about. Anyway, that was that was a very long (laughs) detour
1: here. Um, Getting back to the the information exfiltration,
0: Um,
1: we are not being made aware of most of the incidents that happen around this because they all, when they are dealt with, they are all hidden behind NDAs and uh, just agreements and secrecy and all of that. So, just because you're not seeing. Big headlines every single day about this doesn't mean that it doesn't happen on a regular day-to-day uh, way because it is happening that way. Um, I mean, we heard about AMD, we heard about Microsoft, we heard about all of those earlier this year. Those were just the big names. This also affects smaller companies and those won't make the, the news sites, but smaller companies are also having their information leaked. And just remember that the big companies today were small a few years back. So
0: yep well, I gotta start somewhere yep um, so yeah but,
1: yeah another trend <laughs> that unfortunately just is a gift that keeps on giving is the specter type malware and sorry, the specter type bugs that are being that are playing uh, hardware um, we had specter a few years back we had meltdown we had all the different versions of specter we had the red Bull line we had lots of different things and we have another one just this week it's called red bleed it's just a few days old i was just looking at the the name so that i got going to try because of course it has to have the funny name um and that's annoying as hell but that's another side it, it is
0: annoying because of how many there are i mean i can understand why we name hurricanes because there's a certain finite number of those that happen during a particular season in a particular place but we have vulnerabilities Daily in um, a, a crazy number of those. So if you want to start naming vulnerabilities, you got a lot of work to do. So yeah. keep up with that. I wouldn't recommend it.
1: Okay, but the interesting thing about both this one and the whole family of uh, these hardware-based uh, vulnerabilities is how the mitigations for it will cripple performance. This one is another one that will give you a huge impact on performance on your hardware if you patch against it. So this is a rock and a hard play situation. You either patch against it and stay safe and take the performance hit, or you don't patch it and you stay vulnerable and vulnerable to data exfiltration. Um, yeah. This one is slightly different than the other ones. The, the Spectre was based on branch prediction, which is basically when you don't know exactly where the program flow will go through. So the, the CPU will try to predict and run some code on all the branches available and then just prune the ones that won't be used. This one deals with the, the instruction. When you run a specific function in the code, at the end of every function you have a return. So that the code execution get back, gets back to the point where it was when the function was called. This exploits that return facility and by calling a sufficiently large number of functions in a row, by making it very deep, you can you can actually trigger this this issue. Um the thing there is that the performance hit is really massive it's really massive on new on new CPUs
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, imagine you have say ten thousand servers and you take a ten percent hit to performance Now you need another thousand servers to make up for that lost performance uh, you didn't buy ten thousand by chance you did it because you ran the numbers and that was the number of servers that you needed to provide your service and now you need an additional. A thousand servers provide exactly the same services before, just because of this, it's a huge yeah. impact. It's it, a it huge really financial is. hit. It's not just the, the the information security researchers that get all smug because they find the, found another named vulnerability. It's companies just looking at their wallets and thinking, "Oh boy, there goes a lot of money just to get back to where we were before."
0: yeah it also i mean deep learning and things like that they get hit hard by this kind of thing um i i talked to a few people that do deep learning and it's just massive uh, amount of um detail that they have to go into every cpu cycle and yeah with that it's going to be even worse
1: yeah because that's how you that's how you size this type of of deployment so that's how the the architect looks at the things and saying, and says, okay, we need 5,000 web servers running this application and another 1,000 running the database and another, so many doing that. They do the calculations. They know how many operations it will take to run a specific part of code. They know how long it will take it to run that code. So if you throw a wrench into that, those calculations and you make things go go wrong, you will need more hardware to compensate. Or just come up with better algorithms. But if you could do that, you would have done it already. So considering yeah. that is not an option, you're going to need more hardware just because of this. So if the, the the PC market was seeing a slump in sales, this might be another pickup, because companies will have to pick up a, a huge batch of CPUs just to make up for this vulnerability.
0: I really, I, I don't know. So So it's like I'm trying, every time I try to think about a way to fix this kind of thing, right? Um, I, I automatically think of something that's going to defeat it, so I don't even mention it. But it's just, it's like, um, you know, you buy extra servers or maybe a newer CPU, you know, doesn't have that flaw because they they fixed it or something, which has happened. But then the the new CPU that you've, you've purchased could then later have the same thing happen to it. And that only saves you for a certain amount of time. So it's almost like... Um, it's one thing to have a cat and mouse game between um, people that write malware and you know software, but that in hardware is a different cat and mouse game because that's going to cost you actual hardware, like you were saying, in in buying extra servers just because a vulnerability was found that can't be patched without a performance penalty. Um, that isn't something I predicted <laughs> would happen. I mean, uh, ransomware for sure, that was pretty obvious, but. But but I did kind of feel like when Spectre happened that we're going to see a lot of this because when one person or group team or researcher finds something, then it's going to inspire other people to poke at the hardware too. Unfortunately, do you
1: recall how long it took to see silicon with the fixed uh, hardware with the fixed uh, with the fixing place for Spectre? It I was over a year. It was over wow. a year until we saw the first CPUs arrive without that bug in. And the thing is that the lead-in time for the fabs to change their process and to get the new hardware in place and start producing it in bulk and de- delivering that all over the world, it's a very long time. And even if the fix is already in place, even if they have already found a new way to, to create new CPUs, to design new CPUs around it, which I don't see they have, or else this whole family would have of the malware would have been avoided by now and it's still a thing.
0: Right. The
1: leading time in this, it's going to be over a year until we start seeing a new silicon without the, the bug presence. So we will have to rely on the mitigations and the mitigations will have that impact in performance and there's no way around it. You at home, you might think that you're going to be safe and there's no problem running that. I have a couple of systems still running where I don't deploy the Spectre patch, the initial one, precisely because of the performance hit I take. But that's my choice. At my company, I have no way of doing that. There's no way they were going to let me do something like that. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way. Companies won't tolerate that. You'll miss right. your compliance. You'll miss your security assessments. You'll miss everything. Um, because these are non-vulnerabilities that need to be patched. and need to be patched in a timely manner. We know we've seen in the past that it takes a lot of time to patch some of those, but you just don't have a choice in some industries or basically anywhere that has any regulation. You have to patch.
0: Yep, you have to patch. And um, yeah, it's like if IT teams didn't deal with, my computer is slow enough as it is already there, especially after that, um, and and they might even agree at that point. Yeah, it is slow. Sorry, nothing I can do about it. Um, I want a new computer. Yeah, me too. (laughs) But uh, yeah, not fun.
1: Yeah, it is slow, and the patches we're going to deploy is going to make it even slower. See, how nice are we in IT?
0: Yeah, those are some patch yeah. notes right there that'll get people happy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because the, because that's the thing. When you when you read the patch notes, mm-hmm. they won't tell you there's a performance hit. You'll have to wait for somebody to run the numbers and run the benchmarks. I saw the Pharonix numbers on this just today, and mm-hmm. the hit is massive. The, the hit that you take by, by applying the patches for did it's something massive. In some workloads, it's over 20%. It's ridiculous now you won't be doing just that hopefully <laughs> or else you're going to be taking a 20 percent that for every five servers that you have you need an extra one it's a lot it's a lot of money it's a lot of and not just the the money in acquiring the hardware there's all the rest that comes with it there's the support agreements there's the new hardware that you need to buy new networking cards new i don't know everything computes everything that you need to to get in there to keep it running as it was before
0: um, energy costs yeah. And Energy cost, cooling, yeah. all of that. Yeah, all of that comes
1: yeah. on. Rack space, for example, is another issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Data centers are not infinitely sized; <laughs> they can only take so many servers in there before there's just no more room where to put them. So that's another constraint that they have. Um, if you are, wow. <laughs> this is this is insane. If if you are if you have a large enough data center, and say it's at ninety percent capacity you're looking for options. And now something like this comes up. You don't have the physical space to put the servers in. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Our vulnerability in a CPU makes it so that your data center is full and you have no more spare space to, to put stuff in.
0: And we can't make this stuff up. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I mean, it, it is, it, it's is—it's the case. And it's its one of those things that, um, you know. I like my computers, my servers to, to run fast. I don't think I'm the only one that feels that way. Unfortunately, that nothing is sacred now, not even that. And
1: there is a direct cost to that. If you're running machine learning, say, if you're running on a Graviton instance on Amazon and you're running machine learning there and you're running it 24 seven, the cost that you rack up at the end of the month, it's massive. If you need to add a couple of hours to do the same workload that you would do in a day, the cost just explodes. And that's what a vulnerability like this directly translates to. It's not just the the vulnerability itself and being able to exfiltrate data. These are just the obvious results of a vulnerability like this. All the other costs that come along, those are the ones that will really hurt you, even if you're not breached because of the vulnerability. Because fixing the issue will make it more expensive to run. And that's huge when you're running large server fleets.
0: Yeah, I mean, and also consider uh, not patching it costs a lot more. Maybe even your business, um, depending on the situation. So that's quite the, that's a hell of a trade off, right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll be. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as it develops and similar things that are no doubt going to come because it's like I don't think I've ever seen a security situation that was a one and done. I don't think that, as far as I remember, I don't think that's ever happened. Things evolve and change and grow. But, you know, trends continue to be trends and get worse as time goes on, unfortunately, because as our technology gets better, our issues also get worse.
1: Yeah. And you're going to see fixes for this vulnerability. You're going to see the mitigations for this vulnerability. And then a week down the line, a month down the line, a new one comes along, a red blue version 2 or something like that, like it happened for Spectre. Now everything starts over again. It just doesn't end.
0: The like chaos theory meets computing. <laughs> I mean,
1: I usually say this jokingly, but we're really suck at writing software, and in this case, at creating hardware as well. I know it's an exaggeration. I know that we produce lots of it, and only a small percentage of it is flawed. But by God, the amount of vulnerabilities that come out every single day—it's astonishing how we manage to make any working application at all.
0: I almost wonder, and maybe you'd know more than me, if there's any stats about how many of these vulnerabilities and flaws in software have happened because the management team are forcing the engineering team to put something out because they got to meet a deadline when there's you know more sec- security work to do. And I, I've experienced it myself, where I've seen development teams that I've worked with on a time crunch, and so I know it's not uncommon. It's very common, and and I do feel like even if we had like an extended here, time to develop something. We would still have flaws. That's never going to change. But sometimes I, I feel like you know, it, we we can't even buy a device nowadays that has complete firmware on it. Like it always needs that first firmware update to actually you know for you to use the device. Like even for basic functionality, because they're in that much of a hurry to get it out the door that they have the um, main operating system for the device isn't out yet, and they're trying to get it out on the time. It's horrible. Like software developers are put through a lot of, um, of work to meet these deadlines, and I think that's a. I think that also has to contribute to the issue as well.
1: They are, absolutely, and agile dev- development model doesn't make it any easier on them. Mm-mm. They have two week crunches to deliver features or new applications or whatever, and of those two weeks, very little time is dedicated to security. There is actually an article today that was linked on Linux security, You can look it up on Twitter, Um, dealing precisely with that, how Agile is having issues with security because people just don't have enough time to look at security concerns on the two-week constraints of the, the Agile cycle. Sure, there are ways to go around it, but then it's no longer Agile.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think um, I'm not personally a fan, but that's uh, another story for yeah. another podcast. Um, yeah. But it's it is uh, it is an issue that a lot of people deal with. And I think there needs to be some changes everywhere to help us grow along with these problems so that we can answer the problems and deal with these because I feel like the good guys are kind of disadvantaged where we, we are under time crunches. We are, you know, there, there's vulnerabilities like we've mentioned that we don't even know about because they're being hoarded. So every, you know, the odds are against us here. So we kind of need to change the development, I think, to kind of, um, you know, transition things. And still we'll have lots, a lot to talk about, even if every developer on the face of the planet, um, had infinite time and, you know, knowledge and everything, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. So, um, but I still have, I like to have less to talk about than too much to talk about. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, as long the, as the red team is more attractive than the blue teams, we're going to keep working on the, the podcast. There's no problem about it.
0: Net, no question about it. So, yeah. Fun times. Yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think those are most of our, I think those are all of the topics we had on our list for today.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Okay, so this is our first live broadcast. We'll be doing this again. I'll try to get the notification out like a lot sooner now. Yeah, know, a lot An sooner. hour beforehand, but um, <laughs> this is, this is going to be fun. I think this is going to be the new normal, and uh, I look forward to it.
1: Yeah, this was a test for us as well to see how well we could go. I'm actually amazed that my cat didn't decide to, to show up. He never does, but on but on the live show, I'm sure he was going to be jumping all over the table. This is Pressing a... My fingers um,
0: this is a cat welcome YouTube channel. Um, I mean, I mean, and cats have been at the center of, of IT and and you know, basically our our um, sector because you know they're they're awesome. But then also, how much of the internet was dedicated to cat videos at one time? And then the famous experiment, which I don't think was ever solved, where somebody um, put a little piece of wood on their space bar, but not enough to actually press it down. And there's a end user license agreement on the screen and then uh, he just motioned for the cat to come over the cat stepped on the board and accepted the agreement and then it's like who who accepted the agreement here and am I legally liable I mean there's like cats are at the center of everything in IT let's be honest so no no worries there so yeah uh, we'll be back um, live again cats and all or maybe not depending on uh, what the cat decides to do and um, thank you guys for watching uh, live in this case or listening after the yeah.
1: fact. Thanks, everybody. It was a pleasure. And until the next one.